welcome to Artistic Accomplices, the podcast that's all about art, creativity, and learning. We all could use a little creative nudge every now and then that will prod us, encourage us, and give us a shot of inspiration. Artistic Accomplices is the podcast that gives you small doses of motivation and creative encouragement as you make, create, play, and live. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and I am going to share my thoughts on art, creativity, and learning, and occasionally I will interview artists, writers, educators, and much, much more. Just like the gym buddy that motivates you to hit the gym on a regular basis, Artistic Accomplices is that little voice in your ear telling you to hit the studio or to pull out the paints or to pick up the pen. So let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode two of Artistic Accomplices. Today's episode is all about creating a framework that will allow you to make the art or create the music or do the creative work that you want to do. Um, and I'm titling it The Rules. Uh, I know that's kind of forbidding sounding, but I really want you to understand that these rules are uh, some simple guidelines and some simple reminders as you begin your journey. I, I think as an artist, um, as a creator, as a maker, sometimes it's really hard to get making. And I always try to turn to one of my favorite quotes about making art, and that quote is by Chuck Close. Uh, the quote goes, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. And really, the, the rules that I'm going to share with you kind of boil down to that, that idea of, of showing up and just getting to work. And that's where the art comes from. That's where inspiration comes from. And so there are 10 of these rules that I came up with, oh, about 10 years ago now. And I must say that they're not completely original to me. Um, I'll say this probably again and again, like any good artist or educator, you steal things. So these ideas came from several places. First of all, they were based very much on the rules of uh, Corita Kent, Sister Corita Kent, uh, who was a nun and she lived, I believe it was in California, and she was an artist that, that kind of went unknown for a long time, but she did these amazing screen prints, uh, and a lot of people consider her uh, very much a pop artist because of, of her screen printing and, and uh, these pieces that she made. And so there for a number of years, these rules were floating around and they were wrongly attributed to uh, John Cage and, and maybe it's because he used them and shared them with his students but uh, these rules were originally created by Corita Kent and they were shared so I took those and I kind of looked at them and then I came across another set of rules by a writer Patty Dye who lives in North Carolina um, she wrote a book called Creativity is a Verb and she shares in that book these rules for writing because as a writer somebody who has written 
tons of blog posts who's written I forget how many books now um, but one of the questions that she was asked quite a lot was you know how, how do you write a book and so she created these rules um, her rules I think are a little bit more blunt and forceful than mine and when I first started these rules I used that same kind of language but then I have uh, changed them I've adapted I've adopted I have kind of created my own um, so my rules really owe a lot to Karita Kent and Patty Dye and of course that Chuck Close uh, quote about inspiration so I'm gonna quickly go through the 10 rules and then I'll kind of go individually and uh, kind of elaborate on each one of these and I will put put these kind of in the show notes so that way you can go and um, you know, you don't have to worry about sitting there and trying to copy them all down and as I'm talking about them. But hey, feel free to me as I listen to something, you know, I, I have to have a pen and my journal and I'll sit there and take notes and draw and write and reflect on the things being said. So without further ado, here are my rules. Rule number one, show up. Rule number two, sit down. Rule number three, shut up. Rule number four, ignore everybody. Rule number five, get over yourself. Rule number six, start where you are. Rule number seven, work. Rule number eight, find your tribe. Rule number nine, immerse yourself. And rule number 10, nothing is a mistake. So those are the rules. Uh, like I said, I'm going to just sort of go through each one, talk a little bit, maybe share some stories. Um, but my, my thought is that you could really use this as a framework to kind of uh, remind yourself of things that, that you can do to really get yourself making. So if, if you really feel like, hey, I want to draw, I want to paint, I want to knit something, I want to make a quilt, I want to sing, I want to solve the the world's energy crisis um, then these are things that you can do to help you do that so let's start with rule number one showing up that is probably the most important one so showing up to a space somewhere you have to have a place where you feel comfortable where you can make you can draw now some people are very fortunate, you know, they have a studio, like I have my own studio. Um, but you know, you might not have that. Maybe you don't have a space, uh, but maybe you do have a craft room. Maybe you have a guest bedroom for years. My studio was in the guest bedroom. So anytime I had a guest, I would have to clean it up. And, uh, it was a great, great motivator to keep the studio, uh, somewhat tidy. So, you need to have a space. You need to have, you know, the dining room table, the kitchen table, the coffee table, uh, or maybe, you know, a, a desk in the corner somewhere. But if you have a space that you can show up to, then it's going to be easier to, to make your art. Um, and sometimes you, it, that's just not physically possible. So, you know, you kind of have to show up in other ways. You have to, uh, you know, basically pull something out. So, I like to have my my art studio to be somewhat portable. So as a visual journalist, as somebody who works in a, a journal that makes art, I have that journal with me everywhere I go. So I can show up while I'm at 
at the airport waiting on a plane or I can show up while I'm out at a restaurant or I can show up whenever I'm on vacation in the hotel room. So that that studio becomes portable. So I take art materials with me. I take, you know, my pens, my pencils, my paints. I don't take everything, you know, I, I, I can only take so much. So it's, I kind of pare down what I'm working with to the most essential things. So it, showing up just really is about being consistent. So if we have a space that we can consistently use, that we can consistently show up to, then we're more likely to to show up, to be there, to want to create. Um, for years, I had a studio in an extra bedroom uh, before I met my wife, and I had a. I was fortunate; I had a three-bedroom apartment all to myself, and one of those spaces was my studio. But it really became a a junk room, and uh, you know, I really threw a lot of stuff in there, and it became impossible to walk around so uh, it was really hard to show up there because that space was so cluttered and even now my my studio i'm fortunate now to have my studio in the garage um it still gets junked up pretty quickly and easily and and you know it it it, uh (laughs) it really um uh makes me not want to show up and also my my studio isn't very uh, insulated. So in the summer, it's really hot and humid, even though I have a window uh, unit air conditioner. And then in the winter, it is pretty cold. So I have to bundle up and put layers on, um, but I still try to show up. So whether you have a space or not, you have to make that commitment to show up. And if you can show up every day, that's awesome. Um, I try to do that and I've, I've done challenges for myself uh, in the past where I've tried to do that and um, I, I'm not great at showing up every day but I'm pretty consistent and I've been really surprised over the years all the artwork that I've made and it, it really is proof that I have been showing up but if, like anybody I can get better so anyway that's that's rule number one showing up rule number two sit down you have to sit down and actually make something, do something. And, you know, unless your creative work, you know, isn't sitting, um, as an artist, you know, I, I I do sit a lot. Um, I work on small pieces, but sometimes I work on larger pieces where I'm standing up, but so it really means to kind of like, you know, plant your butt somewhere, plant your feet somewhere so that you can actually do it. It's amazing how attractive other things can get whenever we want to make art or we want to do something creative. Um, you know, it's like, it's amazing how like, Oh, all of a sudden you realize that, Oh, I have the laundry to do and I have dishes to do. And I have this, all these other things I have to do. Um, even whenever we go into our spaces. So when I come into my studio, sometimes I distract myself with other things. It's like, Oh, well, look, how, look how messy this is. Oh, look at the, I need to uh, clean this up. Oh, I need to put this stuff away. Oh, I need to clean my brushes. Oh, I need to organize my paint. And I think of that as a, as a way to not show up, to show up without showing up, to be in that space without actually doing anything productive. Um, yeah, you know, every once in a while we do need to organize our stuff. We need to clean our spaces. Um, we do have laundry to do, but it's amazing how as soon as we decide like, okay, I want to go 
draw something. I want to go make something that these other things all of a sudden become much, much more attractive. So if we can get into our space and sit down. So if you're a writer, you know, being able to sit down at your computer or with your pen and your paper, if you are a musician, you know, going in and, and, uh, you know, if you have to stand while you play your, your instrument, then, you know, you go in and you stand, you plant your feet there and you dedicate the time to actually working. So that's how I look at that rule is, you know, sitting down really means dedicating the time to actually do it instead of being distracted about all these other things. So that's rule number two, sit down. Rule number three, shut up. Okay, I mean, I, I know personally I have this running voice in my head and it is so easy for me to moan and complain about everything. Um, you know, I, I, I can sit there and think about all these, you know, what ifs and if onlys and, you know, maybe when I have the, the right time and the right materials. Um, but, you know, I think as, as artists, as creators, a lot of times we, we give lip service to how, to how important making and creating and singing and doing really is to us. But, you know, that's all it is. It's lip service. Um, and, you know, and, and then we sit there and we whine and we complain about things, you know, like, oh, uh, oh, it's just too cold in the studio today. Oh, I, I can't go out there. I just don't have enough time, you know. And so we have this voice that kind of runs through our heads that keeps us from doing what we want to do. Um, so we, we, we might complain about not having enough time, not having the right materials, not having any um, ideas. We might have that that critic in our head that, that basically, um, tells us that, you know, we're a fraud, we're an imposter. So, you know, you might think about that imposter syndrome. A lot of artists talk about that. Um, and, and, you know, so we, we talk ourselves out of doing our art because, oh, we're not good enough. We're not, we're not dedicated enough. We're not creative enough. Um, but that's, that's the ego kind of like piping up to, to, so that we don't do those things because, you know, there is risk involved. So we have to just kind of shut up. We have to just sort of shut up about that, shut up about, about how much, how creative or how talented we are or we aren't. We can't be jealous of other people. We have to just put that stuff out of our minds. And if we can just shut up, you know, and, and most times it's not us just sitting there, you know, complaining out loud. It's, it's this voice that's running through our head, but we have to just sort of shut that, that inner critic, that, that voice up. Sometimes it's the voice of a parent or an adult who didn't approve of these things. And so we're full of all this doubt. So if we can just shut up and then maybe we can get to work. So that's rule number three, shut up. Rule number four, ignore everybody. And this is one that I find very, difficult because we have to just ignore other people part of that is again our ego that inner critic we're, we're afraid that people aren't going to like what we're going to what we, what we do you know they're going to make fun of us they're going to ridicule us they're going to laugh at us um we have to ignore those people you know sometimes those people are just jealous you know they're, they're jealous that that you are daring to do something that they're not willing to do you know, so sometimes these people will criticize us 
you know, sometimes, unfortunately, it's our own members of our family or, or our friends, and they just don't understand, and we have to ignore them. You know, it, if this is something that's really important to us, we have to ignore them. Um, but we also have to ignore the praise, uh, because I think praise sometimes can be just as detrimental to our creativity as criticism, um, because when we get praised for something, then then we might get stuck doing that thing over and over again because, hey, that, that got me praise. And I kind of feel like as a young artist, that happened to me. You know, I, I, I was the family artist. And so it was really hard for me to take risks with my art as a kid because I got praised for certain things. And I wanted to keep that praise going. And so to try something new and something different, that, that risks not getting that praise that you want to hear from other people. So you have to ignore the, the criticism. You have to ignore the praise. You also have to just ignore this comparison that we love to do. We love to compare ourselves to other people. And so we have to kind of stop that too. You know, we have to ignore those people. We have to ignore the people that we think are better than us. We have to ignore that. And then finally, and this is the hard part for me, is that we have to ignore our loved ones. Um, if you really want to make art, you have to make it a priority. And I know it's hard sometimes with a family to to kind of push them aside and say, hey, I'm going to go into the studio and I'm going to make my art. But you have to do that. You know, I'm not saying neglect your family and ignore them all the time, but you have to make time for yourself. And the, and the only way we can do that is if we ignore them. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's hard because, you know, when my wife's home, I want to be with her, you know, I want to sit down and watch TV with her. Um, but then at the same time, I feel this nagging, like, oh, I want to be in the studio. I want to make art. I want to do these things that I want to do. And so, um, you know, you, you, sometimes you just have to kind of schedule your time. And I know a lot of artists take classes and that that's a way for them to basically tell their family, tell their friends like, hey, I, I'd love to go grab dinner with you, but I'm taking, I'm taking a class I've scheduled, I've paid for it. So, you know, ignoring everyone. So rule number four, ignore everybody. You kind of have to isolate yourself at least for a little bit while you do what you do. Rule number five, get over yourself. Um, I think as artists, as well, just as human beings in general, we have an ego and that ego flares up and that ego will try to get in our way, especially when it's threatened, you know? So we, we have a tendency to put ourselves down. We always, you know, kind of that critic, that inner, inner critic that pops up in our heads. And I don't know how many times I've heard in classes that I've taught with adults, especially that they, they put themselves down, you know, they, they really, um, oh, I'm not, I'm not an artist. Oh, I'm just, you know, a piddler, a dabbler. And they, they put themselves down and it really can put a damper on the creativity, you know? So if you are constantly hearing that voice in your head, you just have to stop it. Cause you know, really you're not that bad, you know? And what I find is that there, there are, so many people out there that do some amazing things. And part of it, I think, is that, yeah, they might truly believe they're that bad, but then 
they also do it as a way to sort of fish for compliments like, Oh, I'm, I, I'm terrible. And then, you know, they wait for everyone to kind of pile on like, Oh no, this is great. Oh, this is awesome. So you have to kind of just like get over it, you know? So stop, stop criticizing yourself, stop pitying yourself and just get over it. But then also you have to, if you're on the other side, cause then there are some people that are the opposite that just kind of feel like, Oh, I'm the best thing that's out there. And so you have to get over that too. Um, you know, you, you might get praise for things and, you know, maybe you are great and, and wonderful and talented, but if you let that inflate your ego, then, you know, you really, really can get stuck. Like I was saying before, um, about, about, you know, you, you look for that praise. So we all have this very unique story to tell. So we just need to tell it. And the only way we can do that is to really get over ourselves and, you know, kind of stop listening to that inner critic. So that's rule number five, get over yourself. Rule number six, start where you are. This, this is a difficult one for especially beginners, because I think um, beginners really want to be further down the road. So they look at artists, you know, especially with today with the internet and Facebook and social media, we can see all this amazing stuff that other people do. And that's when that inner critic can come up. That, that's where that comparison can come up. And we, we want to, we want to be that person. We want to be able to draw like, like that person. We want to be able to sing like so-and-so. We want to be able to bake like, you know, they do on TV. And we have to understand that, you know, we are where we are. And every journey starts with a single step. And we have to have that journey. We have to be able to, to do that. Um, and also part of this starting where you are is really thinking about what your conditions are and what your materials are. That a lot of people put off making art because, oh, I don't have a studio. I don't have the best oven to do baking. Oh, I just, I don't have a really good piano to play music on. Um, so you don't, you don't need that. You don't need a, a beautiful big studio that has heat and air conditioning in order to make it. You don't need a brand new computer. You don't need, you know, expensive materials to make the art. Um, you, you need to make do with what you have at hand. And, you know, if you want to draw, all you need to do is get a piece of paper and a pencil. If you want to write, again, you need a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen or, you know, a, a computer that you can type on. You maybe even just an old typewriter. Um, you don't need to have all of this stuff. You know, so I think a lot of times artists, uh, especially as they're getting into it, they feel like, oh, if I, if I have the latest and the greatest materials, then, then I'll be creative. But that's not what makes us creative. Materials don't make us creative. It's what we do with them. It's, it, it's how we react against the things that limit ourselves. So, you know, if I have a cheap set of watercolor paints, what can I do with them? How can I make them work for me? If all I have is a piece of paper and a pencil, how can I write something that is going to move me or move other people? So starting where we are and realizing that we all have to be beginners. You know, we all are beginners with something. And so this expectation that we're going to like do something and do it extremely well the first time really is a misnomer. And it's only through this practice that we get better. 
So that's rule number six, starting where you are. You can't start where somebody else is because their, their journey is different than yours. You have to start where you are and look around at what you have on hand and can you use that to make the things that you want to make to do the things that you want to do. Rule number seven is probably the most important work. <laughs> it's all about working. It's all about putting in the time and the effort. Um, I think there's this, this myth about artists that it is this, this God-given talent. And I recently came across uh, a webcomic by the artist Sarah, I think it's Sarah, Sarah uh, Anderson. And uh, she does a comic called Sarah Scribbles. And in it, you know, there, it, it's a six panel cartoon and in one panel, you know, this person like, you know, how do you draw so well? And the artist's answer is practice. And then the other person says, well, you know, it must be some, some God-given talent. And then the artist answers, no, it's practice. And then the other person says, you know, oh, it, it, it I, I'll never understand how, how people are so talented. And then the artist answers practice. And so this is notion of practice. You have to put in the work. And I think that's the th one thing that a lot of people just don't understand. It's like art, singing, baking, all of those are skills. And if you have the passion, if you really want to do it, then you do it and you work at it to get better. You can only get better if you do things. I just feel like a lot of people just think like, hey, you know, either you're talented or you're not, that you have the talent or you don't. And I think that's a fallacy. And I, I love using sports figures for this because I, I think a lot of times we we admire sports figures and, you know, we say, oh, you know, they're so talented and they have this, this, this God-given talent. But I remember um, a story about Kobe Bryant, you know, the, the basketball player for the uh, Lakers and you know one of the best basketball players you know I don't know how many championships he helped uh, LA win but you know by all accounts he he was he was a great basketball player and I heard a story about him that he would go to practice and he would have the goal of shooting and making 400 baskets in, during that practice and that he wasn't done practicing until he made 400 baskets. So he was always there before everyone else because he would go out there and start shooting. And then he was always there after everyone else left because he hadn't made his 400 baskets. And, and to think about that, that, you know, here, one of the greatest basketball players of his time is out there putting in hours and hours and hours of work more many more hours than some of his competitors and it's sort of like is he doing that because he's really talented i mean if he was really talented he could just go out there shoot one basket and say hey i made it i'm done i'm great but he didn't do that he he would go out there and oh i'm making i'm sinking 400 baskets and i just i just found that to be this you know incredibly amazing story um Another thing to think about is, you know, maybe more in an art 
kind of uh, venue is the idea of Picasso. And, you know, a lot of times uh, people will consider Picasso one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. And, you know, they're like, oh, you know, he, you look at his early work, he was, you know, people say he was a child prodigy. So by his teens, he was able to paint in a very realistic, very classical manner. And, uh, but he, he wanted to do more. And so I think one of the reasons he was such an, uh, an amazing artist is that, you know, I, I read somewhere at one point that there's an estimated 20,000 pieces of Picasso's art out in the world. Now, I'm not talking about finished, high-quality pieces of art. We're talking about drawings and sketches. So, you know, when he would work on a piece, he would do, you know, hundreds of sketches to, to, to refine his ideas, to work out his ideas. Um, but that idea that there are 20,000 pieces, individual pieces, papers, canvases, sculptures, things out there that he worked with. And, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, there, he was able to do that because he was such a great artist. And I kind of would argue, no, he's a great artist because he made all those pieces. So you have to put in the work. And I, you know, I think a lot of times people don't want to do that. They, they want to be further down the road. They want to be the, the best baker. They want to be the best singer without putting in the work. And then if that's the case, they don't really want to do that. It would be nice if they could sing that way. If they, it'd be nice if they could bake that way. It'd be nice if they could draw that way. But they really don't want to put in. Um, I had a, a, a gentleman one time ask me about my art. And he was looking at a piece. And he's like, oh, so how long did this piece of art take? And I turned to him and I said, 40 years. I think I was like 42 or 43 at the time. And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, how long did this piece here take? Like physically this one piece. And I said, well, 40 years because I've been making art since I was two years old. And this piece could not have come about without that 40 years of experience. And so when we look at a work of art, you know, it's like seeing the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. We don't see all that other stuff there. So we have to work at it. So if it's something that you really want to do, you have to work at it. So that's rule number seven, probably the most important rule. Um, and when, you know, talking about Picasso, there is a, a quote that I want to share. Um, he has a quote very similar to the Chuck Close quote. There is inspiration, but it has to find us working. And that notion that ideas and inspiration come because we're working. And that if we're kind of waiting around for inspiration to strike, it's like lightning. You know, if we don't, if we want lightning to, to hit, to strike us, you know, we could go outside and we can stand there waiting and it, in all likelihood, it's not going to strike us. It's a rare thing. Um, but if we want it to strike us, we actually have to create the conditions that make it more likely to strike us. That's the same thing with, with inspiration for art is like we have to provide the circumstances. We have to set up the conditions where that inspiration can strike us like lightning. So if we want to be struck by lightning, you know, number one, we have to wait until there's actually some lightning out there. You know, if we go out on a sunny day, we're not going to get struck by lightning. But if we go out there whenever there's a big electrical storm, okay, our, our chances have gone up. And then, oh, what else do we need to do? Oh, let's find a really tall structure or, or hill that we could stand on. And hey, if we, if we get a really long metal pole and hold it, 
that's probably really going to help us. So it's kind of similar with art. We have to set the conditions. We have to create those conditions so that inspiration can find us. So again, rule number seven, work. Rule number eight, find your tribe. You can do it, this alone. Um, and I, I think this is another myth that we have about artists and about creative people is that they kind of disappear into their studios, into their kitchens, uh, into wherever they go. And, you know, they just have these creative breakthroughs and that it's, it's sort of, I, I think artists and other people have kind of perpetuated this myth because it just sounds so much better, but we all need a tribe. We all need other people around us. You know, they're the ones that are, that are going to help us grow and evolve in our work. So if we don't surround ourselves with artistic accomplices, then we're not going to grow the way we can. So those are the people that are going to encourage us, to help us, inspire us. They are the people that when we're having a rough time, we can turn to them, we can learn from them, we can lean on them, we can let them lift us up in a way that that we really couldn't on our own actually if we're on our own there's no one there to support us there's no one there to lift us up and in this day and age of social media and the internet even if you don't have somebody physically near you that you can lean on there is a world out there and, and it's a world that i'm just really kind of discovering that you know we have Facebook and Instagram and other platforms where we can share our art and get feedback and people are going to lift us up. So this idea of having artistic accomplices, you know, we, we need that. So we need people out there. So, you know, being able to find our tribe, you know, it, it, yeah, we're going to look at artists, um, maybe from history that inspire us. And as a former public school art teacher, I used to teach a lot about you know, dead white guys mostly uh, when we look at the the history of Western art. But, you know, who's making art today? You know, yeah, it's great to look at Rembrandt and Picasso and Van Gogh, but who's out there now making art that we can turn to? And again, we can find those people on online, uh, on these social media sites. We can find our tribe. And I think when we can surround ourselves with these co uh, creative collaborators, it's going to be better for us. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think like right now, that's something that I'm trying to do. It's like, I'm trying to find my tribe again. Um, and I, I feel very disconnected from people. And that's another reason why I started this podcast was to be able to reach out. And, uh, so, you know, being able to find other people, you know, take a class if you need to, you're going to find people in there that, that think like you, that, that, uh, want to hang out with you that want to make art with you, um, find other people. So, you know, if you can do it in your physical location, finding people in the same town, the same city as you being able to meet up, that's awesome. And then, you know, feeding off of each other, that is something that, that really helps promote your art and keeps you engaged. Um, when I described this podcast in the very first one, uh, I, describe it as like the gym buddy, you know? So when you have a buddy that you can turn to, they're going to help hold you accountable. They're going to help you get into the gym 
you know so if your new year's resolution was to get in the gym if you have a buddy there that can help you or better yet you have a whole group of people that's going to be even better so the same thing with art the same thing with you know if you're into baking or cooking or you're into creating music if you don't find other people out there it's going to be very hard for you to grow because you it's easy to kind of stay stuck and it's easy to to kind of keep churning your wheels spinning your wheels and uh, not growing as as a creative person so that's rule number eight find your tribe and uh, rule number nine immerse yourself okay if you want to get good at something if you really love a certain thing you're going to immerse yourself in it you're going to find artists if you're into art if you're in, if you're into cooking and baking you're going to find chefs and you're going to find bakers that you can turn to and you know again in this this modern age in this contemporary age where you know everyone has a a, a, a social media channel um, there's tons of videos out there that you know really immersing yourself in these things is easy easier than ever to be able to find other people out there and and so it is about looking at uh these other people finding inspiration from these people but it's also about learning as much as you can and that's important you know to i always am, am looking to learn something you know and that's why i'm not interested in cookie cutter recipes as an artist you know i'm not look i'm not looking at artwork that other people are making and going oh how can i make that same thing i'm looking at their artwork going oh what were the techniques how did they do that maybe there's something there that i can put into my art and so when you immerse yourself whether you're an artist or a musician you you are really finding those things out there that that can drive you that that can help you that you can learn from um, so you're trying you're experimenting you're, you're you're really just you know basically finding the pool and jumping in and learning to swim that's that's kind of how i i look at it so especially if you're a beginning artist you know you have to find that and this could be related to finding your tribe but it's also a little bit different like I said you can turn to the internet you can find images you can um, learn you know find those YouTube videos if you're having trouble playing a certain chord you know there's tons of YouTube videos out there you know if you wanted to to be a blacksmith it's like there are videos of, of people showing you how to do these things and so immersing yourself and learning everything that you can about it that's that's really important so that's rule number nine immersing yourself finding those those things out there that that you can learn from um and really those people those artists those those others out there that that will help inspire you um, and then rule number 10 is maybe one of the hardest nothing is a mistake and i think that's hard um this is something that I, th I believe it was Miles Davis that just sort of said, like, nothing is a mistake. And, you know, thinking about his jazz, you know, like jazz is sort of built on on something that sounds like a mistake. You know, when you hear jazz and you hear this, like, this dissonance and you just sort of like, 
all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, wait a minute, that what, did they mean to do that? And that's that was one of the nice things about jazz is that, well, it they must have meant to do that because it sounds like they meant to do that. So I think this is really hard because, you know, uh, years and years of schooling have taught us that you don't make mistakes, that if you make a mistake, you you get it wrong and you don't pass the test, you know, and you, you, you only pass the test whenever you get it right. And, you know, if you don't get it right the first time, then you failed, you're a failure. And I, and I think, again, that's that inner critic that comes up like, oh, what if I do it wrong? Well, you have to learn to fail, you know? So this idea that, that it's a mistake, um, I, I don't like using that term mistake because it's not, it's, it's maybe a misstep. It's maybe an opportunity for growth. Maybe it's an accident. Um, you know, I always think about Bob Ross and his happy little trees. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, like he would bump the canvas with his paintbrush and he'd be like, Oh, happy accident that, you know, I'm going to paint a happy little tree there. You know, I didn't know there, there was going to be one and now there is. And so turning that mistake, that misstep, that, that accident around so that you can learn from it. So I, I look at it as that, that when something doesn't go according to plan, we want to call it a mistake. You know, we, we keep it in our head of like, oh, this is going to look this way. But, you know, we try it and it doesn't work out because a lot of times our our vision doesn't equal our skill. And, you know, we might envision something a certain way. We have this expectation. We're attached to this expectation. And then, oh, that didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. And, you know, sometimes that's because we have these rules that we sort of put on everything. Like it has to look a certain way. Um, and I think if we're copying somebody else, that's easy to do. It's easy to put rules on ourselves because, oh, it has to look like theirs. If I'm baking a cake, I have a picture of that cake from that recipe book. That's the way it's supposed to look. Well, who says it's supposed to look that way? Just because there's a photograph of that cake, that that's from a baker who has much more experience than you. And a lot of times, you know, they, they have baked 10 different cakes and they've picked the best looking one so they can photograph it. And then, you know, if you know anything about food photography, you know, sometimes they do stuff to food that to make it look better that has nothing to do with how it was actually baked or made. So, you know, it's sort of an illusionary thing to think like, oh, my, my cake has to look like that cake. In, in real life, that cake probably doesn't even look that, that way. So <clears throat> trying to compare ourselves and what we do with other, other people and saying that it has to be a certain way, uh, you know, can really lead to this notion that, oh, we, we messed up, we made a mistake. And so unfortunately in our culture, making a mistake, failing is frowned upon. And, oh, we don't want to have any evidence. Um, so as an artist, as a visual artist who keeps a visual journal, a sketchbook, um, you know, I've seen a lot of students, a lot of artists who just rip something out. Like, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I have to rip it out. Well, the books that I use are hardbound. And if you rip out pages, it will eventually fall apart. And so this notion of tearing pages out of, out of a book or, or um, you know, trashing something, you know, sometimes, yeah, you, you do that. You want to. It, it, it 
totally messed up and you just need to start over again. But so often we want to sort of hide at the first hint of something not going right. And when I taught elementary school, um, little kids do this a lot. They'll mess up and, and, you know, one little tiny mistake and then they'll, they'll want to throw the whole paper away. And it's like, well, wait, well, wait a minute. That's wasteful, number one. But number two, it's like, let's, let's use this as an opportunity. Maybe, maybe it, you change it. You know, maybe you erase it. Maybe you flip it over on the back. Maybe you do something with it. So before we just say, oh, it's a mistake, let's throw it away. Is there something that we can learn from it? So one of the things that we have to really remember is that it's all about the process. So that art and creative work is about a process. That we go through this process of making and if we aren't attached to what it is that we're making, um, we can really leave it open so that, that nothing really is a mistake. So I, that's, that's a hard one. That's a hard one to kind of, kind of uh, live up to, but I think it's a mindset that if we really look at it as a process and not a, you know, a product that, oh, my cake didn't doesn't look the way it's supposed to well so what you know how's it taste so my wife loves to bake and she she does she makes awesome things and but she always says that you know my stuff doesn't look good but it tastes good and it's like yeah i mean you're gonna eat it so you know whether it looks good or not really isn't the point of of food it's it's about being eaten it's about that yeah the visual is part of that experience but it's not the entire experience so anyway so whether it's baking or making art or playing music that yeah you might mess up things might not go the way you had envisioned but that's okay that that becomes an opportunity for growth and i'm always reminded of ken robinson uh, Sir Ken Robinson, who who is a, a creativity expert, he, he, he says, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you will never come up with anything original. And I think that's very, very true. So if we're not prepared to be wrong, we're not going to come up with anything original. And we have to really realize that that failure isn't an F word. It's not a bad word. It's it's, a, it's something that happens. Things just don't go according to plan. Things don't always go as we envision them. But that's, that's the thing. If, if they go exactly the way we envision them, then why, why do it? You know, so uh, for me, making art is always about discovery. So there you have it, my rules. Show up, sit down, shut up, ignore everybody, get over yourself, start where you are, work, Find your tribe, immerse yourself, and nothing is a mistake. So I want you to think of these rules not as hard, fast, steady rules that you can't break, but as a framework, a framework that hopefully will get you into the studio or get you to pull out your journal or will get you to get out the knitting or go into the kitchen or solve complex mathematical equations, just whatever your creative work is, hopefully 
some of these rules resonate with you. So, you know, if you were listening and following along and you're like, oh, that one, that one's really good. Oh, that one, eh, not so much. Then by all means, use these as you see fit. Um, so these rules, like I said, they're not hard, fast, steady rules. Like I said at the beginning, they, they might be more of reminders, reminders of, of the actions that we can take, the process that we can partake in that will allow us to do the work that we want to do. So anytime that we feel like, oh, I just don't want to do my art today, or oh, I just don't want to pick up the, the guitar today, that if I could remind myself, oh, I need to show up. Oh, I need to sit down whenever I, I find that I, I'm focusing on the laundry. So use these as you see fit. Take from these rules what you want and leave the rest. Those are my rules. That's my commentary for today. So thank you very much for joining me for episode number two. So this has been Artistic Accomplices. I'm Eric Scott. Join me in two weeks for our next episode.